Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to the Everything Astronomy podcast. Today, Sam and I are joined by Irene Vargas Salazar, who's a third year graduate student in the Department of Astronomy at Michigan, and she's studying star formation. Irene, welcome to our podcast. It's great to have you on. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah, well, I think just to get into things, obviously you're a graduate student studying astronomy at the University Mm -hmm. of Michigan. And so I think just naturally the first question is, you know, out of everything that you could have done, out of all the interesting things within the world, you know, why astronomy? Why, why star formation? What, what led you to pursue astronomy? Uh, so astronomy and star formation, like why I chose both of them are very different stories. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, let, but let's start with astronomy. Yes, why not on the broader one? Like the one with like the most backstory type of thing. Um, so I... I grew up in Mexico in a city called Monterrey. It's just, it's somewhere in the north. Um, and it's a pretty big city. Uh, and so there are a lot of like things offered there, like different museums and stuff like that that involve like sciences and things like that. Um, I also got, I think, very, very lucky in the sense that my parents, both of them, my dad in particular, were like super encouraging about like me learning about science since I was very, very little. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I, I was always super interested more in science and part of that included astronomy. Like I still remember that like my dad used, I was like six or something and my dad would used to buy me like kids books about like a lot of different topics, including like marine biology, like paleontology, astronomy was in them. So I was always sort of interested in it, uh, cause it just kind of caught my eye. Cause there's like so many things we do not know about the universe that like we can know about it. So it was honestly like just a very interesting topic, but how I came out to choose it, it actually happened. It's a very funny story. I think at least I think it's funny because it happened because of like a weird string of like coincidences, um, <laughs> that mostly happened to me in high school. Uh, but yeah, so I was always interested in science. And then at some point in high school, and this is why it's a funny story, um, I actually ended up going on a date in one of these museums. <laughs> wow. And the guy, yeah, no, no, that's why I say it's a funny story. Uh, and the guy actually brought me to like, cause like one of these museums, which is my favorite museum that unfortunately closed down because of COVID, which I'm a little bit sad about, um, has a planetarium. And that planetarium, uh, there are several astronomers that host like Saturday talks or used to host mm-hmm. Saturday talks to like, the general public. Yeah. Um, one of them, it was like super charismatic. Like he knew how to like work a crowd and everything. And like he explained everything so well. And I got lucky and I got him for like the night that this guy brought me on a date. Um, and what's funny about it is that like it didn't work out with the guy, but I kept on going to these meetings after this because <laughs> they were just so entertaining. <laughs> Um, and so, uh, so yes, I continued going to these meetings and it sort of like rekindled kind of like my interest in astronomy. Um, and because it was one of the few things that interested me, um, I ended up going to kind of like a summer program that like took college classes and I decided to choose astronomy as one of them. And I ended up going like, you know, like this is like not easy because it involves a lot of physics and math and things like that. 
but I still really, really like it. And that's kind of what made me go like, okay, I think I can do this for like my career. And then I ended up going to college with mm. it. So. Yeah. Um, that's interesting because we always hear people who do astronomy in particular typically don't have the opportunity to study it directly in high school. So when they come to college or university, they're usually kind of not doing it blindly, but there's definitely a leap of faith. Yeah. How did you, when you were in college, were you taking lots of astronomy classes in particular, or were you doing more physics, more math, and just kept an eye on astronomy? So I, I think because of like my experience in high school, like I knew that like I specifically wanted to go to a college that like had a chance to offer classes in astronomy in college. Um, mainly because like I wanted to know more about it and I knew that like if there was anything that kept me motivated to like go to class, do your homework, things like it was if I studied something that I was really like passionate about. So I went to LSU for a variety of reasons, one of them including the fact that like I'm not gonna lie they like had the best scholarship and college was not cheap as you both may know. Yeah. Um, but for also sure. As they offered, so they offered this degree, which was a full physics degree, but you can choose a concentration. And one of those concentrations was astronomy. And so what that essentially means is that like you take like electives in physics. And mm -hmm. in this case, you take electives just solely based in astronomy. I so I learned a little bit about astronomy, like throughout, like it definitely made me get the opportunity to like kind of dip my feet in the water. Um, and then the other thing that I got lucky on was like, I actually managed to go to our use that were like solely our use for astronomy. So that also made me like, this time instead of just a foot, it was like more like a full leg into like what mm -hmm. research was like and things like that, the different things you would do, like if I were to pursue like a PhD. And did, did you like doing your RUs? Because I, uh, Sam and I are painfully aware that as undergrads trying to do research, it, you're very much thrown in the deep end, but with absolutely no way of knowing how yeah. how or how to swim even or barely or knowing how to swim in the abstract, but not actually having swam before. And it's definitely a little bit daunting. Did you like doing your RUs or did you find them incredibly stressful and not particularly productive? I I know I mean reflecting back on it, like now that like I've been doing research for like <laughs> three years, well, this is my third year doing research. I definitely can tell that like this, the pro or like the projects or mini projects that I did during an RU were like a tip of the iceberg of like the full on project. Yeah. It, it was definitely like overwhelming whenever I used to go to it. I, I actually got, again, like I, I was very lucky in this respect that like both of my RUs, I did one in Texas a and I did one um, in the SAO group at Harvard. Um, and the people that were with me in both of those RUs, like we, we actually had like pretty good chemistry together. So I hung out with them a lot. And honestly, like, like research is like, I think a very kind of solitary experience. Cause like you're working on your own project, like people around you are not working on the same project as you sometimes not yeah. even topic as you. Sometimes, even though you're trying to look for a paper that references this, nobody has ever done this before. So it's a very solitary experience. And to have the support of other people who like, like also say like, oh, well, like, you know, I also had a pretty bad day. <laughs> like, let's just go hang out or play video yeah. games. It's actually very nice. <laughs> so. And w what exactly does one do in an RU? Do you, do you, did you, because I mean, you can't be expected to have all of these skills and to know how to tackle 
such big questions, especially if you're an undergrad who hasn't even taken that many astronomy classes. It must be very scary. So what did what what can you actually do or what did you specifically manage to get done? Uh, so I, I remember in the first one, I was testing a program and how it like, so that was essentially like, I just ran, like, I remember like a bunch of tests, like I had to know the code and everything. So I remember the first weeks were like of me learning the code. And then the rest were like doing these tests on this project because it was to reduce galaxy images into something mm -hmm. that was readable. Um, and then the second project was a little bit more, um, kind of like ingrained in the topic because I had to do simulations in like dust particles mm. um so that was an interesting one as well but it's because you only have two months and like before i used to say like wow two months is a very long time to work in the same project uh now i realize it's a very short time to work in the same yeah. project um so they really if if you have a good like mentor who like tells you like this is kind of like what you need to know this is what is up with this program and usually they at least in my case they paired me with like graduate students that like were also working in like a similar topics so i could also go to them for help um and honestly it both in both cases i had like very much the case where like i would treat it as like a nine to five job like we would all like a bunch of us who are in the RU would go to the office at the same time, leave at the office at the same time. And then I just sort of, and like, I get, I'm, a, I'm very much the person who like, I can't sit down at a desk and work all day. Like I have to eventually get up and do yeah. something else. That, that's understandable. Yeah. yeah. And so like, I knew that like at some point, like after I worked like nine to five, I was like, that's it. I'm done. My brain is turning off. I need to do something else. And like, again, like I got lucky that like several people in my RE were of the same mentality. So we used to like do stuff like we used to dinner together. We take weekend trips. Like I remember in the one that I did at Harvard, we ended up taking this weekend trip to Maine to see the Perseus star shower. So Ooh. things like that. So um, it's honestly like, it gives you like kind of like, and like our user reason why I think they're helpful is because they give you like an experience of like, oh, this is kind of like how research would go, like once you're doing it like more full time. But it also gives you a chance to like meet potential colleagues because there's people in those RUs yeah. that like, communicate with or like I see in like conferences and I'm like hey and they're like hey um, and it also gives you a chance because you're in case you want to pursue a graduate career it gives you a chance to go like okay I like how this department works I don't like how this department works yeah. I don't know how they handle their meetings or like even like a chance to go like oh you know like I did this project in like I don't know in my case I did one in like dust and dust particles and i went like you know this is a very interesting topic but it's definitely not the topic i'm most interested in so it also helps you like understand like where do you want to focus on later on so and so when when you decided to so now you're in a graduate program and you're studying star mm -hmm. formation yeah did you did you go into your graduate program thinking that star formation was your area or did you go into it with an open mind and then kind of as you went along chose star formation so it was definitely a little bit of both so in that case my project at lsu involved like i did two projects at lsu really one involved astrohistory <laughs> because my professor was very oh. into the other one involved like novas and i had worked in galaxies and like a bit of star formation but in like more the area of like how dust particles scatter in the galaxy um 
And so I knew that of the different projects I had worked in, the one that interested me the most was like stars and star formation. Um, and so I had an idea that like, oh, well, like if I have a chance to work on this specifically, like I would want to do that. But I also had kind of like an open mind because at that point I hadn't worked in stars before. And I had like to consider the idea that like if I could find a department that like sort of offered like different opportunities or like where you to like study different things, mm. maybe sort of get like a taste of like what other topics would be like, I would take it just in case like if I go into stars and then I end up going like, oh, you know, like maybe this also isn't my thing. Um, but like, I really, really wanted to at least give it a shot. Um, so part of the reason why I chose Michigan, and this is only very big, like partial reason of why I chose Michigan was because they had a sufficiently big enough department that they had people working in different areas. Yeah. Uh, and also included people working in, in this case, it's massive stars, uh, which is what I'm currently working in. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why I got kind of like super interested in like, oh, let me apply to this place. So. And so at the beginning, when you, for people who don't, will add, who are maybe considering either going into a graduate program or who have no idea what that looks like, do you, what, what you study, do you get to study a little bit of everything or do you, when you, from the get go, are you pretty specific on what you're studying? Um, again, it's a little bit of both. Like I knew from the get go here, this program in particular, uh, since you do research from like the moment you get in, you kind of delve into like the project you wanted to study immediately. Mm -hmm. But because you're also taking classes, you start sort of like expanding your knowledge in like other areas. And in this case, like they had classes in like a variety of topics, um, some of which were like not in my area at all. And so that was an interesting experience. It's like sort of overwhelming because you're suddenly like bombarded with like so much yeah. knowledge yeah. of different topics. But like you definitely get to know like where your strengths start lying, like sort of thing like, oh, I understand this a lot easier than like this. Um, and so, and like, I remember, because like to me, like it was definitely something that like, when they talked to me about like specific part, like it takes me a while to like fully get like how particles work and how they like jump from like line to line, for example, in like ISM stuff. But if you ask me about something like how can like the um, sort of like life cycle of a star work in an HR diagram, like I get it. Yeah. It's sort of thing that you start, and like this happens to everybody, like there's there's topics that you're gonna like get immediately like, oh, this makes sense to me. And then there's yeah. topics like don't, like it takes you like a little bit longer to work it, with. It's interesting to hear that because I I think many people just imagine that if you're smart and good at astron and you're already good at astronomy, I would have thought that you're just good at whatever you want to do within astronomy. Yeah. But it's interesting to hear that actually some people are much better at very specific parts of it, which is kind of a, an interesting side effect or an interesting phenomenon to have. Yeah. I think another question that we were interested in is when we talked to Cam, Cam said that, or who another graduate student in, um, <laughs> yeah. in the department, he yeah. was telling us that um, all of it, all of, through all of his classes, he has, he now really feels that he has a good grip on sort of every different part of astronomy. And he, he thought that he had a pretty good understanding of everything. So does that mean that, for example, you get to study things like exoplanets and aliens and, or alien life and things like that? Or is that not really a part of your degree? So 
I know in this case we are we are developing an exoplanets class, so we're not there yet. But like, oh. um, I definitely think that like I got into learning different topics, and that like I know sufficiently kind of like very basic stuff about like each topic that we did cover. That if I, for example, like read a paper about it, I can do, I can sort of be like, oh, well, like I get an idea what they're going for. I just don't know the specifics of what they're working in because that's not my field. Um, it's something that like, and I think he mentioned this as well because he has mentioned this to me before because we're actually pretty good friends. Um, hi, Cam, if you hear this. I'm just kidding, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, so he, it's something that you kind of, unconsciously develop um because as you're learning all of this you're sort of like getting very overwhelmed and it's like a new topic each semester but then you slowly start realizing and it happened to me especially like my second year that there'd be things that like first years would come up and like ask me like oh hey like what about this like what do you do with this and i would be like oh you just do blah 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 and then they and because it would be due to my experiences my first years it it's sort of i kind of like see it as like an exponential curve that like you're like developing like super super quickly and and then you get to your second year and then you're like wow i i don't know everything but i certainly more know more stuff than what i did my first year um so it's it's actually very interesting um mainly because you don't really figure that out until like you're explaining it to somebody else and then you go like wait how did i know this and so it's actually like a very interesting feeling. I, I, I think that's actually really interesting to hear just because even as undergrads, as you go through all these classes, you're kind of taught similar things over and over again. And so I feel like it does make sense that at a certain point, like you, you'll, under, you'll know things because you've seen them so, so often. And so when, when you hit that curve, like you said, that exponential curve, I think it's really interesting to hear that like you, it kind of all surmounts to a point where you can kind of convey that back. And you, you subconsciously realize that while it may have been really hard in the moment, like that you understand things now. That's actually really cool. I guess yeah. another thing I wanted to know about personally, just like you, you mentioned how Michigan specific, like uniquely has like opportunities to learn about all these different subfields mm -hmm. uh, within astronomy as well, whilst doing your own specific research. I guess the question I have then is just, you know, are there, do you ever have any thoughts of, oh, maybe, like this might be a potential like field that I want to study later on or like, you might be doing star formation right now, but maybe you want to do black holes there. Do you have you ever had any of those thoughts or experiences just because you get exposed to so many of them? Uh, I know that like, at least I had the experience that like I came in knowing I wanted to do stars and I left with the experience that I really knew I wanted to do stars in the first few years. I see. Um, I think what had changed for me was how interconnected some fields are mm. um and i really started noticing it when i started writing my paper because i had to explain like um my advisor is a very big uh kind of like stickler and like saying like well think of like the big picture think of like what your research is saying that may affect like other fields of research in astronomy um and it's it's like the sort of thing that like you you like don't think about as you're like kind of like suffering through your code of your project and things like that but then you start thinking about like what your results imply um and in my case it's just the like how massive stars form in like super sparsely populated areas affects stuff like galaxy formation it affects stuff like star formation theories it affects how like or where you would search for like exoplanets and things like that or where black holes would develop how yeah. black holes 
affect like stuff in sparser areas. Yes. So it, it's very much an interconnected science, even though like they're like at the time when you're working in each individual part, it's like very different. Um, and I think I really like that aspect of it because I also noticed it in my classes where there'd be things that I learned in like my galaxies class that suddenly when we're talking about like star formation, we'd be like, wait, we've covered this in yeah. galaxies. And so that was actually a very cool feeling how like everything is sort of interconnected. And do you ever find it frustrating that you can't pause, that you can't possibly know everything about, you can't possibly be really good at the many different fields? So for example, if you're doing star formation and something black holes comes up, do you ever find it frustrating that you know, you know too much about star formation or well you know a certain amount of, about star formation but you're not knowing enough about other things and when you're when you're working on one project that means that you're actively not working on another do you find that frustrating or do you think or on the contrary do you find that motivating because that's what's so cool about science i personally find it motivating because like i think one of the reasons i got attracted to astronomy in particular was because there was so many unknowns in the field that like i was like well if i discover something then it'll be something new like it'll be yeah. something yeah. and while that's frustrating as you're doing it because nobody can really help you with it it's very motivational in the sense that like you have your people in like your cohort for working in like very different things that like you've never seen before and to me it like motivates me because it's like oh well like nobody has worked on this so like it's important that like i work on this um so it just kind of pushes me to want to know more um, and I think that's like a very key thing, at least in like doing research in general, is that like you, I feel like once you start getting frustrated, like, oh, I don't know enough, then you start losing sight of like, kind of like why it's important to like gain knowledge in like everything. Like you want to keep motivating yourself to like, oh, let me find out more about this instead of like just thinking about it as kind of like, oh, damn it, I don't know anything about this type of thing. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the I mean, that, that is, it's good that you have that mindset because that is the mindset needed to be a good scientist, I think. Mm -hmm. But in speaking of being a good scientist, when you, when you decided to go to grad school, were you considering not going to grad school and just graduating from college and going into another career straight away? Or were you, were you pretty set on research and you, you already knew that that was the career path for you? So I actually, I, I knew I had read like a question and I thought that this is it's actually a very personal question that like I don't mind sharing. Uh, it's just my path was definitely not strictly traditional. Uh, I okay. took a college and grad school okay. uh, and at the time it was happening, I wasn't happy to take it i'll put it that way but now that i'm reflecting on it i'm very happy i took it I'll, because as it, when i was going into my senior year of college i had gotten i like i went around asking like oh what should i do after it is like i want to keep doing astronomy but like i'm not sure like should i go to grad school should i like find a job and then go to grad school yeah um, god mixed kind of like opinions like some people were telling me like oh you should definitely go to grad school it's it's gonna make you competitive blah 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 and others will tell me like no you know you really should think about it like try do something else if you're not sure or and then go into grad school but like don't just go on a whim um and i remember my first during my senior year i only applied because it felt like that's what i should be doing instead mm -hmm. of like it's what I want to be doing. 
and it definitely showed in my application not the type of writer that like it it shows like whether or not I care about something on paper um and so I ended up not doing grad school and then I graduated college and then I was sort of like I I don't know what to do or like what I want to do now sort of thing and um it took a summer to kind of get my bearings and like formulate a plan. And then one of my advisors from one of the REUs told me like, hey, I'm moving to this new university. I'm looking for grad students. If you want, like if you apply to this, like I'll definitely seriously consider you as a candidate, yada, yada. And I was like, okay, I guess. And at that point in time, I had already looked at like different careers. And I started noticing that the ones that I really wanted to do involved me getting a PhD to get to like that point. And so that's kind of what made me go like, I mean, if I want to do like these things that I want to apply for jobs for, then like I, I need a PhD. And so I started applying to grad school more seriously. Um, it honestly was less stressful because I had more time and I had more time to yeah. think about it. this time when I applied, I was like, no, for sure. Like I'm going to grad school this year. Um, and this time it also showed in my application. So it's, it was something that like at the time that it was happening, it was very stressful because I, it was like yeah. that point that you realize like, oh, I have no idea what I want to do with my life. And at the time now I'm grateful I took that year because it made me realize like, no, I really want to do this. And I feel like grad school is the sort of thing that like, if you don't, if you're not seriously committed to it, then you're, you're not going to do great in it. Yeah. And, and I think so, it doesn't. Oh, go for it. I think it doesn't help that astronomy is very much a field where it's either you get a PhD or you don't. And there's no in between where you can kind of fall back on because if you're going to pursue research, you need a PhD. And if you're going to go into industry, a bachelor's is probably good enough in terms of your field. I guess one thing I wanted to ask them, just stepping back then, um, just even like you said, just going back to when you were in high school and, and you were applying to college, did you, like, were you for sure set? on astronomy like were you considering other options in terms of career like even throughout college that kind of led you to that decision uh taking a gap year and deciding what you wanted like i guess what i want to know is you know where were you in that kind of process of like how sure were you of astronomy because i feel like all of this is accumulating for you gra uh, applying to grad school is sort of like a, a story of of you finally like, settling and deciding on astronomy while yeah while leading up to you're kind of always like uncertain or I guess I just wanted to know if there were any other options you were ever considering during college or before college. So I know that I, me personally, um, I knew I wanted astronomy since high school. Like I, I'm the sort of person that um, I, <laughs> and this is kind of, and this is like, and I do consider this like a flaw in my personality, but I get very disinterested in topics that like are not, don't captivate my interest as much like I find them interesting but it's not sufficient enough for me to say like let me base my whole career in this yeah. um and once again like I uh owe this opportunity a lot to my parents because they were um so my dad also did a PhD um and the thing is like he chose initially he chose a career that would enable him to have a more stable life instead of having a career that he really wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, and he made a decision and he's comfortable with that decision because that's very much like, he thinks he made the right choice. But when he was raising me um, and he like, um, 
asked me the question of like, oh, what do you want to do? And I went like, oh, I don't know. He like, and I remember he told me this when I was like 15, 16 years old. He went like, I mean, you can be whatever you want to be. Like, I don't care if you end up being an artist. I don't care if you end up being doing dancing because I do a lot of dancing and a lot of swimming. Or I don't care if you go into a science field. All I want to know is that like, once you make the call of like what you're going to do, you're going to do that. Like you're going to stick with it. And it made me realize, like, in a way, like, it's a very heavy question to impose upon a teenager. Because, yeah. <laughs> like, what do you know when you're 15, 16, 18? Like, you know nothing. Yeah. Um, uh, but at the same time, it enabled me to realize that, like, oh, well, like, if I do something, the only thing that would make me stick with a career is if I, like, really like what I'm talking about. And so once, it re once high school made me rekindle kind of, like, my love for astronomy, I just sort of stuck with it and that sort of thing. I think the bigger question for me was what would I want to do with this degree, which was something I wasn't able to answer until really like, uh, like even like I only answered it really during grad school. Um, and to me, it spoke to me a lot that like, and like probably this is like due to my experience, but I, there's, no rush in deciding kind of like what you want to do like i very much encourage the process of like figuring out like what you like and then pursuing that and then trying to figure out like okay what in the different careers that like this field has fits me better or like would make me happier but like it's very like to me there's a saying in spanish which i would repeat it but none of you would understand it but it essentially says that like this is not like a car race like your career develops during time like you're not going to suddenly wake up at some point when you're 17 18 years old and be like i know exactly what i'm going to be when i'm 30 like there's, exactly. yeah it's very hard and so there's no rush in like trying to figure out where you want to end up in the end um despite all the pressures that like you feel around you um so it took me a while to sort of figure that out and do you know what you want to do when you're done with grad school? Do you want to become a professor? Do you want to become a research scientist? Do you want to go into some kind of, do you want to go into like telescope development? Do you, do you know, or is that still a bit of an open question? It's, I, I or both. It's both, actually. I know where I want to focus on. So, um, <laughs> for this, uh, uh, it's like another story. As you might have guessed by now, I like telling stories at this point, but, um, <laughs> I, so I, I'm like a firm believer that like, there's rarely any coincidences. Um, like I, I consider myself an atheist, but like, I definitely believe that there's certain things that like you go like, there, this cannot just be like a coincidence. Like it's, it just like, seems like sort of like an act of fate at some point. But when I got accepted into this program, as I was going through like the first semester, I started figuring out that there were a lot of like, specifically in Michigan, it just so happened that there's an opportunity for you to have um, certificates in like different areas that for specialization. Um, and in my case, that included forms of science communication. Around that time, I also started getting more and more involved in translating science articles into Spanish for like mm -hmm. Spanish speaking public. Um, because my first language is Spanish and I've always wanted to do something with that. And so when I started getting in more into that, I started really getting into that and now now i'm in a position where like i'm a writer for astrovitas which is like the spanish side of astrobytes um i consider that to be very very cool and so as i was going more into astronomy i started doing more stuff like i'm also a planetarium operator i got a science communication certificate and i did um a couple of projects of like outreach where like i would do outreach in, of astronomy 
two kids in elementary school, but it would be in Spanish. And so to me, uh, I want to focus my career or like a be involved in some sort of like specifically astronomy, science communication, um, but to Spanish speaking people, because mm. it's the sort of thing that like I go like and like it's almost like a full circle because I got inspired to do astronomy because of like an, a Spanish speaking astronomer who was very good in speaking to the public, like it motivated me to learn more. And to me, like, if I become that to some kids who, like, see me and go and, like, sit and say, like, oh, hey, this girl is speaking my language. She's a girl. She's Hispanic. Mm. And they see themselves in that and it motivates them to learn more. Like, that's kind of what I want to bring back. Um, mm. And so there's, and, like, I had looked up options of, like, how to work that into my career. And it's a sort of thing that, like, I've already also talked to my advisor about it. She's very supportive of it as well. Um, that like I have like I may not know specifically what I want to do but I know where I want to focus on and so now I know where to point my career post PhD so yeah I mean science I mean science communication is the reason why we started this podcast as well and mm -hmm. it, it's I find it crazy that I so I, I've always been very fortunate that even from even for me and I've always had resources at my disposal and it could, and you know, I, I speak English and so I can, and everything, everything science is in English. And mm -hmm. even for, for me, it's, I don't think it's that easy to, to choose and to decide to go into science, especially I thought for me, especially in like the middle or late high school years, it mm -hmm. be, it becomes more in, as the, the expectations start to rise a lot quicker, mm -hmm. things are less, aha, read a book with cartoons in them and they look like science and you you'll know quite a lot for your age when you start reaching high school people start learn knowing a lot more than or people around you start knowing a lot more than you do and it's definitely not an easy choice to become a scientist did, did you ever have moments when you thought oh no i can't do this or this is too much or when you were either in college or in grad school you're you're in classes and it just becomes too much and it's overwhelming and if so how how did you deal with that so it was like i'll, I'll straight up say it was um because mm. again like i and i'm very much the person <laughs> i get stressed very easily um and i am very easily anxious um i'll put it that way uh but it and like what worked for me was like finally having a schedule, but like I'm the type of person that gets like, not, I wouldn't say easily overwhelmed, but like if I get stuck in a problem, for example, like I really get stuck in it and it takes me a minute for me to get unstuck with it. Um, and so because I hyper-focus on things like that, for me, the solution, which is why I always like recommend it to people is like, it's going to be a very busy time. Like your schedule is going to be very busy. Like you're going to be filled like, there'll be days where you literally are in the office from like 9 a.m. to like 9 p.m. Um, especially in like the first two years where like you're doing so many different things that like I'm just kind of like, oh my God, like I finished one task, but here I have these seven others that like I need to do type of thing. And because I'm the type of person that like needs to turn off her brain just a second in order to sort of recharge um, and be motivated to do more work, my saving grace and which is something I recommend is finding one hobby just one mm. to just sort of 
like make it your main hobby and then like at some point like several days during the week just like do that one thing and like yes it's time consuming yes you have to work it into your schedule but it helps so much to just turn your brain off and so to me it was salsa dancing i'm known as a salsa dancer in the department <laughs> like people have known me for that um and so it was like I did take several hours of like my week, for example, to go to dancing, but it helped me so much in the sense that like I would be finishing a homework problem and then I'd be like, oh my God, I need to go to dance, but I didn't finish this. And then I'd come back from dancing and like, yes, I'd still have to work, but I, the answer to that problem would just sort of hit me because like I'd be mm -hmm. relaxed. My mind would have been off it. I'd be like using other parts of my brain instead of just doing like the academic part. And it just, it helped me a lot and it still helps me a lot to do uh that. I mean, definitely, I mean, Sam and I are, are well, we're doing science at the moment and we're all, we're all, a lot of our friends are doing science as well. And definitely with coronavirus, you can tell that people who haven't been able to do and or get to their hobbies like before are finding it harder to keep a, ba a balance in terms of what they do and how they work, mm. which kind of, uh, I guess we'll have to adapt to that. Mm. But then for um, what to kind of talk about what you're doing in your field, what what are is what is kind of the question that you're trying to answer in star formation? What are you trying to show exists or doesn't exist or happens? So now it's like I answer the exist or don't exist question in the project I did for my master's mostly, but I am specifically working in massive star formation in very sparsely populated areas. So like in areas where you see like it's just very sparse. Like there's not a lot of stars mm -hmm. around. Um, and the reason why it was so strange is because of the way that the star formation theories work, massive stars were suggested to only really appear in areas where it's very densely populated because it takes mm -hmm. a lot of material to form them. So it'd just be easier to form smaller stars, yada, yada. And so when we, they were found in these sparse areas, people were like, well, how did they get there? Did they form there? Were they just like, sort of appeared there after like several other interactions. And so I, the first question that I was asking was essentially like, oh, well, how did they get there? Um, and which is like the first question that my paper, my first paper mm -hmm. answers, um, which was that like, they could very rarely form there, but most of them got there because of other interactions they had in like their original cluster. And then they just were sort of like slingshotted there. Um, just essentially like that so they would just appear to be there because of some other interaction that they had and now i'm focusing more on like the different effects that that would have so like they're still in like sparser areas so now my current project is looking into like well a lot of massive stars tend to form in like binaries um mm. because that's sort of like one of their characteristics uh a really funny thing about this is that like i read a paper that once said like oh massive stars don't like being alone <laughs> and so um but yeah so now i'm looking more into like well like and knowing that their binaries are or not can tell you information about like their original cluster and like how they formed and so you i sort of am going more into that like figuring out different characteristics of like the massive stars in the field and like linking it back to like what we already know about them or like kind of what it implies. So I think that's what my overall project will. And, and so how, how do you go about that? Do you, are you analyzing, I mean, you're definitely analyzing data from 
observations, but do you get to, do you analyze data from like surveys that have already been done or data that's already been collected? Or do you often have to go and, you know, get a grant for telescope time and, uh, and go through the process of selecting what kind of data that you want and then have it taken for you? So for me, it definitely was um, that I'm using data that has already been there. Um, so there is a survey done specifically for like, uh, we call these stars in like sparser areas field stars, so in field massive stars, there was already a survey specifically done for that. So I'm using that survey a lot um, because it's the first sort of like statistically complete survey that we have of them, which is why it's so important because we are able to get statistics off of that and then use that in like other identifying spots for field massive stars. Um, but yeah, so currently I'm using data that's already available. I know that like, for example, um, there's a Gaia DR3 coming up, I believe. Um, that is just like the third data release that Gaia is having. And each data release that, for example, like some telescopes have, you can still use it to kind of update what you know about it because it covers the stars that you already know are within their survey. So. Um, I think for me, it's like a little bit of a mix of both. Like I, I use like updated surveys that like come through mm -hmm. the year, but I'm, I'm mainly using like a survey that has already been done. Um, and, I know that's not for everybody, but yeah. And we, we've heard you talk about uh, programming and computing quite a lot already. How did you get into programming and computing? Did you, did you take classes in college or did it just kind of come along as you started doing more and more research? I, I actually took classes since high school. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's only because I went to like a fancy private high school. Um, I know that's not the, the case for every, everybody and I know most people don't learn until like college. Uh, I was, again, fairly lucky. So, I, so my high school already had coding. So I went into college, like not like knowing bits and pieces of coding, like enough to like get me by, but like I really started going more at it in college. Um, and it's, it's the sort of thing that like, yes, I took a couple of CS classes, but like I definitely learned a lot more on like me doing projects and like me learning kind of like the bits and pieces of it. Um, I started feeling more comfortable in it until grad school because like we'd have so much homework that would be in like Jupyter Notebook. Um, yeah. And so we would just like it'd be the sort of thing that like I could which was sort of like oh well like now I have to learn how to do this and I know that like for me it was definitely like a learning process like a very slow learning process but I know that this is kind of where um the thing I was talking about which was that like other people are like better at like certain things that you're not um and so mm -hmm. the reason why I like having a cohort is because you so like I'd be like stuck in something and then I'd go up to like one of the my cohort members and be like hey do you know how to do this and they'd be like oh yeah I did like a project in this in college or like I spent a summer in this or something like that and then they'd help you along with it and they did the same thing with you in like in cases like where they're not sure about something mm -hmm. but and yeah so that's I mean thing. it it's one of the reasons why we started this podcast was to show that people who do science are not just robots who wear white lab coats or yeah. are strange like we see in movies. And it's interesting that nearly every person that we've talked to has talked about the, like the role of sociability in science and how actually, even though it seems very lonely and 
and you have to be self-start or you have to be self-started and all of that. It is interesting to see how much the fact that you are with other scientists helps people get along with their work. Oh yeah, no, definitely. I like, I, I do think it's definitely a misconception that like, it's like the lonely scientist. I mean, I don't even wear a lab coat. A lab coat is cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, right? Like a lab coat with yeah. my so That'd be cool. pretty cool. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but really it's, it's like, it's a very social thing. Like you have to work with, cause like you, it's like the sort of thing that like, sometimes it hits you that like, you can't know everything. Like, yeah, there's, but there's you just can't do it by yourself. Yeah, exactly. You, and like, there's going to be some things where like, you're like starting to delve into a topic and then you're like, man, like, I wish there was somebody that like has done such and so code. And then suddenly somebody goes like, oh, hey, I know a person that has. And then you're like, this solved my problem so much easier because you can just talk to that other person and be like, hey, I want to use your code for like, blah, blah, blah. So it, it helps it along. Like, I feel like if we were all scientists and like, we were just focused on like us and like how to like, make us superior or whatever um like we wouldn't help anybody <laughs> because like there's only so much knowledge that can fit inside your brain and so once you like sort of delve into it with like other people then they offer you different perspectives of like how to solve a problem or like things that they could bring to the table and so it makes it move so much more faster so yeah um are you yeah well i kind of about telescopes. Telescopes are really cool and people see these pictures of telescopes in really cool places. Have you ever gotten to go to these to these observatories or I, or is it now all remote control? So it's not all remote control. Like several of us, not me, but like have gone to Magellan in Chile when COVID was not super present, but mm. like several of us to Chile. Um I know that I I have gone observing um it was, it's like the sort of thing that like, it almost seems like unreal because you have to like flip your schedule because you're up yeah. at night sleep during the day. Yeah. Um, it's so dark so many times and like sometimes, and I remember, because I went to a telescope in Texas called McDonald's, which is part of mm. Texas sort of like institution. And it, it was a sort of thing where like you would walk outside and it'd be a mm -hmm. night and it, you'd be in a mountain. So it'll be cold, even though it was the summer and you, yeah. it would be pitch black because like you observe in nights where there's not a full moon. So it'd be yeah. just, I'd be freaking out and like asking people to like, please hold my hand as I'm walking with you. Yeah. Like you're seeing nothing. Um, but it's, it's like, I, I would love to go to some of like the other telescopes, like the Chilean one and the Hawaiian one. I know that like most likely based on like what I do, I either would work with space surveys or very rarely with like, or like remote like land surveys. But if you guys have a chance to go to a telescope and take your own sort of like images, it's, it's an experience. I really liked it. <laughs> are you at all, in, so are you, well, in the field of, in your field of astronomy, it seems like you're relying more on there being lots of of data on, on survey kind of things as opposed to there being huge tele uh, it seems like you're more limited by the quantity of data that there is as opposed to how or how how far you're looking and things like that are you interested in trying to develop more surveys and in trying to develop ways to deal with having it or in 
Are you interested in trying to find ways to get more data or is that not really a part of part of your work either? Uh, it's not a part of my work now because like right now because the survey that like I'm currently working in was occurred in 2016 so it's still fairly recent mm. so to speak um, and we're still getting a lot of information from it. I do know that like in the future if I want to kind of like expand what I know about the master's I'm currently working with in other areas like I would have to like go through the whole process of like asking for telescope time or like looking mm. at which survey so like um since i'm an observer that's just sort of like part of the process like i think that there's some years where like you're strictly working with the data that you already have and then there's some years where you're like okay great like i've done what i did but like the next project i want to do is like sort of looking at different areas and so you're you want to expand on that but like it really depends on like the route you decide to take so yeah and are you set on doing specifically star formation forever or do you plan on maybe going into uh, black holes or galaxies or something else i think <laughs> i think i would probably go into something related like i i'm the type of person that like would just sort of like go where like it would interest me so like right now yes i'm working with star formation or like i'm work with a little bit of star formation but now i'm working with binaries which is already or like binary characteristic which is already different than just simply working with star formation and then later mm -hmm. on it'll be like probably like another characteristic of massive stars um so and I, and I like doing that. Like, I, I think I do want to keep working with stars, but maybe just different aspects of them. Um, so it would mean that I'd have to expand my knowledge into like other areas. Yeah. But yeah, just kind of have like one general topic, so. And so I think, uh, I mean, you've talked about how you do your research and have all these things going on. What does the typical day in a, in a grad student's life look like? How do you, how do you spend your time over the week? Is it mostly research classes, exams, or do you still have exams or uh, writing papers for asking for grants? There seems to be so many things. Oh, and you know, teaching, uh, which I know a lot of grad students do. How do you break down your week? So <laughs> there's like three different answers to this question. Cause there's like, pre-COVID and during COVID, like those mm. are two different okay. And then there's also like pre-candidacy and then when you're a candidate, which is right. like when you first part and when you're done with that. Um, I, I I can talk a little bit about each one of them. <laughs> okay, no. Um, but I know that like at the very least, like pre-COVID and pre-candidacy, um, like when I was still during my first two years here, because here in Michigan, like your first two years are like when you like, pass your pre your preliminary exam when you like have to finish all your classes and then you move officially into like what they call candidacy mm -hmm. um, and so those two years your schedule is essentially packed because i remember there'd be times there was like a semester where like or two where like i had a class at 8 30 in the morning and i hated it i'm not a morning person um but it'd be like you go to class um, and then I would stay at the office because I'm the type of person that works better in an environment where there's a lot of people working around me, um, which is why COVID has been so hard. Uh, but at least in that sense, like I would go to the office, I would work. Sometimes there'd be like meetings during it, either with your advisor or it'd be your group meeting, or sometimes it'd be like your journal club that you're a part of, or maybe it's colloquia, or maybe it's like one meeting that you have to do for a grad job. Like there's, 
it's it's weird the first two years because it's like you're still a student so you still have homework and you still have classes but you still have like a job which is like you have to go to all your like meetings and stuff like that you still have to do your research sometimes in some semesters you still have to teach and grade and do all these things so it's it's a lot of time management time management skills those first years because you're juggling so many different aspects of like mm. what it's like it's like having like two feet one of them is like you're still a student and the other one is like you're a researcher and a and a teacher sometimes yeah and you have all, all three different aspects so that's what the first two years were like um now that we're in like post like when from your third year onwards you don't have any more classes um you can choose to take classes in case you want a certificate which is most likely what i'll be doing next year um but that's in that point it's like a choice it's not because you have to take yeah. a class yeah. you don't have a prelim exam things like that so it it feels and in this semester coincidentally i'm not teaching um and so it feels much more like a nine to five job like where i just do research i go to my meetings and that's that's all i do um and so it's a little bit more strenuous now that it's COVID, uh, because again, like I work better if there's other people around me and like people where I could just go and say like, do you want to get coffee, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's, yeah, it, it's the sort of thing that like, it's teaching me different time management skills where like this time it's more that like, I have to operate my own schedule. Whereas before it was like, I had to operate in a schedule where I could do all these things. And now it's like, well, now you have a lot more free time. So now you have to operate on the schedule where like you accomplish your goals of the week and like still have like a healthy schedule type of thing. So it's a yeah. different experience. It, it think, is, yeah, go for it. Oh, I think just going off of that then, do you think there's anything like any tips, are there any tips you'd give to potential undergrads looking to go to grad school who you know might not know what the rigors like especially during these times um where they might not know how to juggle things or balance things or look towards a typical schedule is there any advice you give to uh undergrads so i would definitely say like there's no perfect time management skills um it's it's finding like a right balance for you specifically because i have friends who like literally like they have everything in like their gcal and like reminders pop up every single time of yeah. like oh, do this you have to do i can't do that there's yeah. other friends of mine that like have a board and like they write down everything that they have to do that day and like i'm not that dedicated enough but like what i do is i write my to-do list of like things to do somewhere like in this case it's my agenda and that's how i get through the day like i just go like okay i have to do this this and this and like i have such and so meeting but it's all in my agenda so it's not popping up every single time like in my like dashboard and stuff yeah. like and then there's people who like remember it without any agenda necessary um and so it it's it's like finding your own rhythm but just know that like other people's rhythms may not work for you so you might find yourself in a situation yeah. where like there's this other person like sitting right next to you that has the decal up with like all the different meetings and it keeps popping up and she and they have the post-its in like their like um desk and stuff like that and then there's you with like just like a to-do list in the agenda like don't yeah don't worry like both of you are managing it fine if you get like your work done like at the right time frame you just have different forms of time management so i think it's it's like the sort of thing that it's hard to do like but just don't cons like don't compare yourself to others because like others may just have different habits than you yeah. um and different ways of working 
And I honestly saw this a lot during homeworks. Like I'm the type of person that like, I really get stressed about homeworks, like only like two days or like the day before. Cause that's how I work better a lot under pressure, but there'd be people who like would start it the week before. And I, I'm not one of those people. <laughs> like I prefer to use my time the week before to like do more research or do other meetings and then do the homework like later on. Um, and there were several people in like my own cohort who were like more like the week before, but there'd be this one person in my cohort who was had the operating the same schedule. So she and I used to get together a lot for homework. So it's, it's really finding your own rhythm and like trying to say like, this is what works best for me. I accomplished my goals. I'm doing a good job. Despite the fact that like, it seems like others are like working on an operating in a different schedule. So. And for people who, who might be, in well in in the shoes that you were in a couple of years ago maybe for example who whose first language is spanish and who are trying to um who are entering in an english-speaking system or for for people who were in your position what what kind of advice would you work what yeah what what would you tell them is the the thing they should keep in mind when if they're considering a career in science uh I think I have a general one and I have one to girls specifically. And I think it's like an influence of being raised in a conservative um, city in Mexico. Um, but to everybody, it's really just like, if you, if you really want to pursue something like seriously, like you seriously are considering it to be like a career, then there's no shame in like going for it as like your career. Yeah. Like, like looking for something that is like, oh, this will make me like stay. Like if you're, if you feel you're going to be unhappy, but have like a stable job, I would much rather you go for like something that makes you truly happy and like you can find happiness in it rather than just being meh about it. Mm. Um, and again, this is very heavily influenced by my parents because they were very, I was very lucky in that sort of sense where like I had the opportunity to do that. And I know that's not the case for everybody. So, but that's definitely what I encourage in people is to do something that makes you happy. Um, and then for girls specifically, because uh, uh, I was raised in a concern, like I was like part of my household is conservative uh, and that includes, but like a lot of Mexico has like gendered roles. Yeah. Um, and so it'd be the type of thing that and I was very, both of my parents heavily encouraged me to keep on doing science and math. So I was very lucky in that, but I know that some of my, even like friends in like, middle school, high school, and college were, like, not encouraged the same way. Um, and I even, like, faced some of this in the sense that as, like, a woman and a girl, like, growing up in, like, that sort of environment, you get hit with, like, a lot of questions that are, like, more so centered in, like, um, like a f how do I put this, in a family perspective. So they think that, like, that's, like, your main focus when like what you're trying to say is like, no, I can also be a mother eventually, but like, I also want to have my own career. Like I want to support myself, that sort of thing. Um, and it's also the sort of thing that like, as you're growing up, like, and I remember getting this, which I, I was confused at the time. And like, now I get angry whenever I get told this, but it's like, whenever I like have said the phrase, like, oh, I'm good at math or I'm good at blah, 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 or like I'm studying physics in the case where I was in college, I would get people telling me like, isn't that hard? And I'd be like, yes, it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> what do you expect? <laughs> like, yeah. It'd be like that sort of thing like almost like condescending tone of like isn't this too hard for you um and like i always call people out on it when they tell me this <laughs> like it's hard regardless of gender um 
And so... Uh, yeah, I can confirm that regardless of gender, it's hard. Physics <laughs> and astronomy, they're not easy subjects by any means. Yeah. <laughs> but it'd be like the sort of thing where like, that's why like to girls especially, um, and I think I was, I, you, you face a lot of like, in terms of like sort of like demotivating things that would make you like sort of want to turn away from science. And like, I'm very much the encourager of like saying like, no, look, like I'm somebody that looks like you. Um, and I'm not the traditional like stigma of like a nerdy girl. Like I wear makeup and I like dresses and I dance and I wear high heels. And I kind of really like going against that stigma. Like I remember that like, I really like going into the, like this is just like a personal thing. Like I like dressing up and like looking nice and doing all these things and preparing outfits for like conference days and stuff like that. And like, I want to show at least like girls that like, hey, you know what? Like I'm wearing high heels. I'm in a meeting, I have full makeup on and I'm still presenting at like such and so conference about like a very serious topic and like sort of go like you can also do that <laughs> like you don't have to be like the nerdy type or like face all that stigma like you can also do all these things and like dress up really cool and wear sparkle dresses and like all these things and still be a scientist and so that's sort of also the message i want to convey yeah, yeah which I, is think, that I mean i think for us um our whole podcast it's built on breaking down certain stigmas and to show that, you know, to be a scientist, you don't have to fit the mold of, oh, you're a nerd who just, you know, works in your office all day or like, you know, mm -hmm. dresses up a certain way with, with, with clothing. You can, you can have your own personality within all of this. And I think that's something that we also want to highlight as well. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it's a, a more lighthearted parting question. What was your favorite class or thing that you studied in college or in grad school? Ah. Uh... I think I have one in college and one in grad school. Um, in college, honestly, like something that really interested me was I took this class in astronomy history. So my advisor in mm. college is a huge astrophysics nerd and I really love it. Like I like learning about like how Greeks used astrology and astrophysics and my friends are gonna like, ver like make fun of me for this because they always make fun of that sort of aspect. But like astrology was very important in like ancient civilizations and they use it as like a forms of like both science and like as part of their daily lifestyle. And they also did like huge progressions in like science in general. And so when I took this class, it was very interesting to know how like different cultures sort of like ingrained it in their lifestyle, how they used to like predict it and like use eclipses and all these sorts of things to develop a calendar. It was very interesting, at least like learning more about like that aspect and then learning like kind of like where we are now and sometimes still using the tools that they gave us. So I think that's a very interesting thing that I learned in college. Um, not my career, but it was like always like an interesting read. <laughs> so like yeah, I, always... I mean, astronomy history is definitely really interesting. We, for a podcast, we did a series where we would just talk about particular topics in mm -hmm. astronomy. And I always really liked reading about how people discovered and came about things and how people were surprisingly knowledgeable even a really long time ago. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. So that was my class in college. Um, right now in grad school, I think the class that like, I found the most interesting and like, this is again, probably very biased. It wasn't until I did, um, the stars class part two, where we focused on like more like main sequence and like more massive stars. Um, because it was one of the last classes I took and it was one of the classes that like, I like, it, which is something I mentioned before it like. 
helps you realize how much of it ties in with like various different things. So like, I, I always like feeling like that, like different things tying together into like one topic, even though they're very different. So that's pretty cool. Awesome. Well, um, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Thank you so much for talking and, sh and sharing the story of how you got to where you are mm -hmm. because it, we, we loved, we love talking to different people in astronomy because it's so interesting to see how and where their story went and also how and where they struggled to kind of make it to where they are or the different things that were hard and how they overcame it to do pretty well. So thank you so much. Yeah, no, of course. Thank you once again for having me. Of course. Yeah. Well, uh, make sure to like and subscribe. But that, yeah, that, yeah, that's it for our episode. Um... Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. This is Michael. This is Sam. This is Tommy. And this is Joe. If you're listening to this on YouTube, make sure to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, make sure to leave a review. All of the show notes can be found either in the description below or on our website. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next week with more Everything Astronomy.